Hello, welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. I absolutely love the myth of the hero's journey, and I use it all the time. Joseph Campbell called it the great monomyth, as it was present in all times, in all cultures. It has been with us as long as we've been here. Myth speaks the universal language of the heart, and so is not dependent on a particular religion or way of thinking. As you read and then interact with this myth, it teaches you deep truths about what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, and what direction we need to go to do our part to help the world and its people. What is this myth trying to teach us? For one thing, It's teaching us that we need to be courageous every day. We need to be vigilant and discerning about our habits so that we don't find ourselves going through the motions of our lives. When you start to live more mythically, you start to get more connected to the heart. You get more connected to the divine and to a personal destiny. You feel connected to something greater than yourself and pulled out of your comfort zone. It feels exhilarating and enlivening. The more you say yes, the more clearly you will be shown your unique road. That is how it works. Men, your comfort zone is your enemy. I hate to tell you that. I know we all love to be comfortable, but it will kill your chances of looking back on your life and honestly saying that you lived courageously. And our tendency is to think that the hero's journey is only for these sort of epic historic figures like Gandhi, Dr. King, Mother Teresa. We rarely suspect that the archetypal hero in the story of our lives is us. Isn't that interesting? Carol Pearson is a great writer and teacher of the hero's journey. I hope to have her on the show soon. Here is how she describes the hero's journey, and I quote, As you go on a quest to find greater vitality and aliveness for yourself, you also seek answers that contribute to a collective transformation. In fact, anytime you identify a wasteland element in your life, such as illness, boredom, lethargy, alienation, emptiness, loss, addiction, failure, anger, or outrage, it is time to take a journey. You can be called to the quest by such dissatisfaction or simply by a desire for adventure. The journey will inevitably transform you. And then she goes on to say, heroes are agents of change. The hero's task has always been to bring new life to an ailing culture. So here you can see that you can be called out onto a new path by a sense of adventure or a sense of loss or boredom or even addiction. All can be seen as a call to the hero's journey when viewed from this great monomyth. When you step out onto a new path, it signals that the hero is leaving base camp, and the world starts to shift and shape to the new reality. Change is afoot. And before we get to our interview, I'd like to read you just one last quote. This is from Narithra, the poet. I love this quote because it kind of perfectly captures the spirit of the hero's journey. He says, I have always known that at last I would take this road, but yesterday... I did not know it would be today. And here's our interview. My guest today is Mark Jackson. Mark is the senior film critic for the Epoch Times. His film reviews can be found on Rotten Tomatoes and Flickster. He has been a professional actor for 25 years and is the official radio and television voice of the world-touring Chinese classical dance show Shen Yun. Mark also hosts a daily news show for the podcast America Daily and is currently narrating an audiobook called How the Specter of Communism is Ruling Our World. We got together to talk about men's personal development, male initiation, and the hero's journey. Enjoy. 
All right, Mark Jackson, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to hear your voice. You too. You too. Um, so we're talking about lots of men's stuff on this show, and the first few episodes are really sort of foundational. So we're talking about the initiation of men. We're talking about men's work, the power of men's work, the hero's journey. What sorts of issues do you see many men struggling with in our culture right now? Like, what do, what do men need to learn to grow into mature, strong, powerful men? What's a couple of things that you see as like it's missing for them? Well, definitely the boyhood to manhood rite of passage has gotten lost, you know, as, as described in, in the Mankind Project. You've got bar mitzvahs, but not everybody's Jewish. And then yeah. you've got, you know, being a high school football player, but not everybody's a jock. Exactly. So how do you get the range of, you know, in between guys, how do they get their boyhood to manhood rite of passage? And it has to be an ordeal. Um, you know, the other example that's given is the, uh, the old Maasai tribe ordeal. They were an agricultural tribe that raised cattle and, you know, the lions would deplete their cattle. And so every once in a while, they had to weed out the lion population. And so the boyhood to manhood rite of passage was when a boy reached the age of 16, he had to go out and kill an 800-pound African male lion with a thin spear. And maybe he weighed 130 pounds, you know, so the the, uh, the elders and the uncles and the, the warriors would come and they'd rip the boy out of the mother's arms. And she was, you know, she was distraught because she knew that he going to go out there and kill that lion and come back a man, or he was not going to come back at all. And either way, she was not going to ever see her little boy again. And yeah. So that was a big deal. Huge, huge life change. We just don't have any of that anymore. So I would, I would highly recommend doing your hero's journey and, and facing your fears and, and do your ordeal. Um, do a new warrior training weekend. It doesn't matter when it happens. You, you can be in your 90s. You can still go on your weekend and get that manhood peace. One of the things I see in men across the board is they, they don't trust. They see men. They have, they have their friends, but they kind of don't trust the larger community of men. They haven't been brought in to the community of men. So there's just kind of one-upsmanship, kind of competition, you know, kind of status. There's no kind of underlying resonance with other men. And it's, it's one of the great gifts of coming into the men's work and being part of a group is you're able to put your guard down and really speak authentically about the challenges you're facing because men are going to face challenges all across the board. It doesn't matter which walk of life or what country you live in or what your skin color is, what your sexuality is. You're going to go through transitions. They're going to challenge you. And the Achilles heel that I see in many American men is they just don't think there's a community of men there that they can relate to, talk to about their deeper concerns and their challenges that get them and understand and can actually mentor them. Um, and I, I see that as one of the, you know, again, it's, it's doing the weekend, but it's, I see it in men where they're kind of, I don't know, there's this immaturity and lack of like trust that they've got some inner life, some depth to their inner life. They can ask these deeper questions about what's their mission, what's their purpose. I'm going through a midlife crisis or, you know, I just got divorced and they always feel like they have to handle it alone. And you can just see it in their eyes that they're scared they're isolated, and they just aren't getting the, the support from the male community that's there once you step into that. 
yeah, this the whole concept of a male community is just not there. You probably get some of it on in in the NFL, but that's mm-hmm. such a business, and some of those guys are you know we just see the stars, but there's lots of guys who are uh, nursing all kinds of injuries and they're not getting the the full playing on the team kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the special forces teams, the SEALs and the, the Delta and all those guys, I think they have a very, very strong brotherhood, just having laid down their lives for each other, that they can, they can reach a level of trust that's, you know, really rare. So the question becomes, how, how does that become available for an everyday guy? And that's what the weekend provides, is that I remember that, that Sunday morning, the first Sunday morning, um, I mean, not to give much away, but the, we all circled up and, and some veteran talked about, you know, the wars that were happening. And for the first time in my life, I, I felt this massive expansion out to all those men out there who were laying their lives on the line so we can have our freedoms over here. And I was right. like, those are my brothers. And it wasn't, it wasn't just intellectual recognition. It was a visceral, powerful thing. And, and that's the, the community of, of men, the brotherhood is there's just no way to tap into that in this day and age except for on the weekends that's available to you know everyday guys that's a great way to say it i've always said and you and i have talked about this being in a great men's group i mean you make lifelong friends um but it's there's also this kind of i played on sports teams my whole life i played college baseball and it's it's like having a sports team in a good men's group. It's like being on a sports team, but without all the macho bullshit or the, you know, you don't have to be a jock to be in a good men's group. The, everybody's in there. The, the, that kind of bond, almost like a canine bond that feels so familiar when you're there. And there's just, men don't get that enough. You know, you don't get it by going out and having a few beers after work and talking about the Seahawks or the Yankees or whatever. You don't, you don't get it, but in those men's groups, it creates that kind of strong bond among the men, and it's food for the soul for me. Like I, I'm, I go back over and over and over again because why would I go without that? Like why would I go it alone when I know there's such a better way to do it? You know? Right, right. And the originators of the weekend, all of the guys who who started to tap into the fact that men need something, uh, they recognized that men are carrying around a tremendous amount of grief and they don't know how to let it go. And you can't really take this stuff to girlfriends and wives a little bit, but not to the extent where, you know, and that's the thing that most men think, Oh, I can't, I can't show my feelings in this group of men because I'll I'll just get, you know, hounded and harassed and bullied and shamed. And then you find out it's the opposite. It's like, that's where you take all your heavy stuff. Yeah. Because men, men can deal with it. Yeah. And there's a movie that just came out, the documentary called The Work. That's, that's something that I recommend to guys who want to know what this is about. They, they took the, the men's weekend into uh, Folsom Prison and mm-hmm. did this with the scariest guys on the planet. The uh, warden of Folsom Prison, he basically took a huge gamble and he allowed this thing to happen where all of these gang members from these different gangs, I mean, Crips and Bloods and, and uh, the Skins, which is a Native American group, and white supremacists and Latin kings, all these super scary guys. They put them together in a big room with no supervision. <laughs> it's like, like an atomic bomb could go off in there. And you just see like the power 
of this work to unify these guys and turn them all into brothers. I mean, it's yeah. the most it's the most jaw dropping thing I've ever seen. And uh, I highly recommend that uh, you can get it on Netflix. But that shows what the potential of doing these men's weekends is. I, I would love to staff one of those. It sounds absolutely, you know, Eric Hansen staffed in Folsom on a number of times. And I would love to do it, but it is also sounds terrifying. But everybody that's ever staffed it that I've talked to is like, what an experience that was, you know? And, and I feel drawn to it because I, I have a ton of empathy for men that are in the prison system. I feel like many of them just were young men, like we've been talking about, didn't get brought into the male community or grew up without fathers, you know, had all this energy and restlessness as young men without a mission, got into a gang or got into crime made a couple bad choices and then got locked up for who knows how long. And I just, I have a ton of empathy for these men and um, I'm going to be exploring that topic in this show a bit too. Cause we've got, I've got some men lined up that want to talk about that, that lead trainings in them. But um, is that something you would ever do consider doing, or is it like, yeah, you know uh, it's not for everybody. I think there's, there's uh, you know, it, it's one thing to staff a weekend. It's another thing to say, I'm going to go to a maximum security prison and, and staff there, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, back when I was staffing at MKP, uh, Eric approached me about it and I thought it was an awesome idea and I was turning it over in my mind. And then this time sort of passed and I, I never ended up doing it. Well, once I saw the movie, I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I would like to do that. I do feel like I would have to get back involved with regular staffing because I would want to be on my game. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. You know, some guy who's been locked up for double yeah. homicide for, you know, and, and not be on my game. Well, and also like, I remember Jim Mitchell, who's a teacher of ours, you know, I go, how do you, you know, how do you deal with all this powerful stuff that comes up on the weekends? And he, he said like, once you've staffed in Folsom, once you've staffed prison and you, you get, the rage and helplessness of a man who's never going to see the light of day, then this other stuff is very manageable because there is nothing like the pain of a man who's never going to see freedom, you know, and you're trying to help him find inner freedom inside of that system. He says, you know, this stuff, he didn't make, he didn't say it's a cakewalk, but he goes, once you've done that, this stuff is, it's not nearly as challenging as, as you might think. Right. Yeah. I remember when he said, facilitating this process of clearings when two men they're angry at each other and you want to clear the air he said yeah i'm starting to get bored with this stuff but if you go into if you go into Folsom prison and do a clearing between a crip and a white supremacist that's going to stand your hair on end yeah yeah a little bit right a little pent-up rage there <laughs> a little pent-up rage it needs very skilled facilitation yeah yeah um so a couple last questions so I remember you saying that you read Lord of the Rings like every year for like 20 years or 15 years or something. Um, really probably younger. longer than that. I mean, yeah. I remember I, somebody said that the entire cast had prior to being hired onto the movie had all read the Lord of the Rings like over and over and over for years. And I was like, well, I missed out on, you know, I'm an actor. I, I missed out on my, my yeah. lifetime role because I did that too. I read it 52 times, the entire series plus The Hobbit, and a couple times in German. What was it about it? Like, what was so compelling about that particular telling of the hero's journey for you? Well, you know, um, I think it's a bunch of things. It's, you know, I'm a writer. It's, it's very, Tolkien was just a hell of a writer. Um, yeah. It's a great, it's great storytelling. I mean, all of those things, you know, Gollum creeping around and 
smog and, and shalab and all those creatures and it's like orcs you know it's tremendous drama and just fantastic storytelling but also i think it is the fundamental hero's journey and path to enlightenment um it's an enlightenment tale you know frodo and sam down in mordor on their last legs burning off all their karma and you know the one ring represents addictions and detachments and they've got to slap this ring and throw it you know into mount doom and destroy it and then they go to the gray havens which is basically enlightenment you know yeah. going not being strapped down into samsara which is the cycle of earthly incarnations they slip that noose so i you know i didn't know any of that growing up i just thought it was a great tale but looking back now i think this presumes that you believe in reincarnation and, and uh, karma and stuff, but most people who get involved in spiritual practices have been people who have had many, many lifetimes where they have burned off a lot of their karma within that lifetime, which means they're you know maybe a monk or a nun, which is, is that's what that does. Is you're constantly taking care of your karma so that you don't accumulate more. And I also think it was the sort of the remnants like coming over the the millennia of, from previous incarnations of that understanding that you have to run a text over and over again. I think that was my precursor to my, my study that I do now. Because of this, this book, the main book of the main text of Falun Dafa, I've read it 109 times now. You know, we've got a guy, an Indian practitioner, who's read it close to 800 times. That's how you cycle this stuff. So I think that was sort of the underlying subconscious thing that attracted me. Well, it's funny, too, that, that you know, when you were a young man, you were drawn to reading Lord of the Rings over and over again as a ritual, which is this complex, like multi-layered tale of the hero's journey with all this information that's kind of underneath the storyline. And you were gathering all this information, then you would be somebody who would be very sort of aware of your hero's journey later on. Like, um, I just find it really interesting. And one of the things about that story I find fascinating is it's not just one character you know, all these characters are having their hero's journey. They're all having to face down, you know, demons that in the story, you know, if you watch the movie, the demons are on the, are on the outside, really they're inner demons that they're facing all through. And it's just, it's a super fascinating story. I've always resonated the most with Aragorn because he's the reluctant king who is questioning his own bloodline as being suitable to being a king. And that is like, that really resonates with me. And when I ask people like, oh, you know, what character do you resonate with, you know, most? And some people say, oh, Sam or, you know, Frodo, whatever, Gandalf. Which, which character now, as you look back, you think, oh, that's to me the one that, that I most identify with in the story. And maybe it changed. For me, Aragorn's always been the one where I'm like, yeah, I've got a little bit of the, that kind of reluctant, I don't really have the, you know, I don't have the bloodline for, for really true leadership, you know. For me, it's always been Gandalf. Mm -hmm. I knew you were going to say that. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, he's going to say Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah, with good reason, right? So why? I don't know. It's just uh, from day one, it was always, I always thought he was, uh, you know, he had these little, he had superpowers. You know, yeah. he could, yeah. uh, the, the little ones with the firecrackers and stuff that he entertained the Hobbit kids with. But then he'd get into these mighty battles with the Balrog, and he'd, you know, fall down through the earth and and die and reincarnate and come back as Gandalf the White with even more powers. Yeah, that's cool. So 
just to finish, I got one more question. So what do you want us to remember you for, Mark? Uh, what would you like your legacy to be when it's all done? Like what what did you stand for? What do we what do we say about you, you know, at the end? Oh man. You know, this is a big question. question. <laughs> when I think of this this kind of question, um, what always comes up for me is uh what Lawrence Olivier said. You know, he was he was the world's greatest stage actor, and uh, he said he wanted to have his, his epitaph on his gravestone. Just said, "quote He was funny." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always like that. I'd like to have some of that, maybe. But um, basically, I think integrity to you know, help people get on their hero's journey, and you know, listen with a compassionate ear, and, and try and offer solutions to people who don't see you know any light in the darkness and um you know the, the, i've in on one hand i have thought a lot about this on the other hand i've thought very much about very esoteric aspects of this so i don't feel like i can really talk about yeah um, i get you but i'd say i'd say yeah to help people along their their path well you've certainly done that and, and you're a man who's you know i've known a long time you've displayed immense courage in the choices that you've made in your life. And, you know, some of the ways that one of the ways you're going to be remembered is as a role model of putting first things first, not being distracted. When it comes time to it, you're a man who's who's walked the talk on his deepest spiritual uh, wisdom, his deepest spiritual knowings. And you've always been somebody who I've held up as, as somebody who's like, okay, well, there there's there's one of my friends, mentors, making powerful choices on his hero's journey. I need to do my part to keep up, uh, mirror that. So, uh, and yeah, you, you're somebody who's, who's had a tremendous amount of growth. And I just, I appreciate all the things that you've done to, uh, to help men in particular uh, come to a greater understanding, find, find these trainings, find a way that that they can live lives that are more connected to their heart, more connected to their mission, more connected to their spirituality as you brought people into Falun Dafa. So thank you for all your hard work and your commitment. And it's made a huge difference. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for getting me on my men's weekend. You're welcome. So I'm going to stop this and, and chat with you just a bit more, but thanks again for being on the show. And I hope to have you on again as we keep unpacking this. There's going to be a lot of things we're going to be talking about, but thanks so much for being on the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mark Jackson. I'd like to thank Mark for his insight and wisdom. Mark mentioned a couple things you might want to go check out. One is a movie called The Work, which is how men's work is applied in a maximum security prison super powerful movie that takes place in Folsom Prison, uh, re really compelling stuff. And the other one is this spiritual practice called Falun Dafa. And for more information on that, you can go to falundafa.org, F-A-L-U-N-D-A-F-A.org. And from that website, you can download their central book, which is called Zwan Falun. So go have a look and we'll see you next week. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.